Infirmary Media. People engage to stop the jewel in decades. The Matrix of Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Jewel in decades. Poop culture, popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Jewel in decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy. Because it's your history, we just fight for it. I am Mark James, and welcome back to Dueling Decades. This week, we bring you a rock and roll-themed duel, as I will be representing 1989, alongside my other bandmates. First off, on lead vocals, singing the praises of 1994, please welcome to the stage, Man Crush. What's up? I'm so excited for this one. We actually asked Hollywood what she wanted to do, and she said, Let's do some rock and roll. And I was I was down because we hadn't done this in a long time. So let's do this. I do have rock of 1994. Also returning to the panel this week and slapping the bass from the miscast commentary podcast dueling with 1975. It's Joe Finley. All right, Phoenix. <laughs> I am here. I am rocking out with 1975. Was it before I was born? Irrelevant because it rocked, and I'm ready to talk about it. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week's celebrity guest judge is an entrepreneur, author, actress, stuntwoman, and the original gorgeous lady of wrestling. All rise for Judge Hollywood, Jeannie Bassone. Oh, you said it right. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Two thumbs up for you. <laughs> How do they normally say it? Because we, we talked you about this at length. You said it absolutely perfect. Jeannie Bassone, you did not. You did it perfect. Wow. Is there someone Italian in there? No. Nick? No, French Canadian here. Canadian Canadian here. Love it. You guys did great. Excellent job. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and of course, hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie, after all five rounds, we will go to a final wild card round. All right, duelers, you wanted the best, you got the best. It's time to rock and roll all night and play Dueling Decades. Woo! Very good. All right, let's go right down to our special guest judge, Hollywood, for the coin toss. Okay, we're going to use going to be my cell phone. This is heads, this is tails, and I won't drop it. All right, here we go. Joe, go for it. Heads. Did you see what I did? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Did you cheat, Joe? No. Joe won. (laughs) You didn't give me enough time to think. I was just like, oh, God. All right, Joe Finley, you won the toss. You take control of the board. What category are we going with first? Well, I th- I think I said I said my prayers and took my vitamins on that one because I needed to pick first and I got to get hot products going. All right. So I want to talk about a book that was written by a Rolling Stone columnist and 
a reporter named Grails Marcus, and he wrote a book called Mystery Train. It was a series of critical essays about Elvis Presley, Bob Dylan, Robert Johnson, Randy Newman, Sly Stone, a bunch of people. And it talks all about the uh, historical turn that rock took uh, in the late 60s, uh, which made rock and roll stop being all about the teenagers and all and started to become more of an adult thing as well. Uh, it was a very well-received book. It was a best-selling book. And the New York Times uh, in 2015, re-reviewing the book, said most critics and serious listeners think that uh, Mystery Train is almost certainly the best book yet written about American music in general and about rock in particular. In 2011, Time Magazine listed it as one of the 100 best and most influential books written in English since 1923. So that's what I got. Rolling Stone's Grails Marcus writes Mystery Train. In 1975. All right, man, crush. What do you have for the hot products round? All right, so let's go to August 12th through the 14th of 1994, 60 miles away from where I grew up. This highly anticipated event. It was on every teenager's wish list. Unlike what Joe was just saying, it was still about the teenagers right here. Albeit this concert, it wasn't only for teen teenagers, but it was a stacked card. It had lots of 90s bands on it. That I wanted to see, my friends wanted to see. This is the 25th anniversary event. It was held in Saugerties, New York. It was roughly 70 miles from the original location in Bethel, New York. Tickets were $135 each. Wow. Which is around $240 in 2020. So that's not horrible mm -mm. for as many bands you got for three days. Uh, and no need trying to be coy on this one. This was the Woodstock 25th anniversary. And it was loaded with acts that I wanted to see. And I recall like feeling like a total loser as I watched this entire event on pay-per-view. <laughs> My one friend just got his license. This is 1994, so we were in 10th grade. He was going to take his sister's car while she was away on vacation. And we were all going to go. <laughs> and we were going to say that we were sleeping in my friend Jeremy's house. And we knew three people that were going. So we were going to, like, we coordinate with them. And then once we got there, we are going to sneak in. I mean, there were over 160,000 tickets sold. <laughs> And there was still an estimated attendance of over half a million. So I don't think that it would have been any issue considering there were more than half the amount of non-paying peeps in the audience. So I think we would have got right in. The only thing we didn't account for, my buddy's sister's car was broken into the week before. So when she left for vacation, she put a fucking club yeah. on the steering wheel. <laughs> and let me tell you, that shit doesn't come off. Like with the club, it's for real. You're not getting it. So, this episode brought to you by the club. Yeah, it completely fucked us. Our whole plan was to like leave Friday night so it didn't look like we were going to Woodstock because all the talk in our town was about Woodstock because it was so close. And we figured we'd get there by like late Friday night, hopefully see Candlebox, who was going to be on Friday night, and kind of like fend for ourselves when we got there. And apparently, like you weren't allowed to bring in anything. You had to buy it from the vendors there. So part of our deal with the people that we were meeting not only were they going to find a spot in the fence that we can get through, but we were also going to like sneak supplies through the <laughs> fence, ah, like supplies, supplies. Yeah, because it's like you couldn't buy beer is probably like twelve bucks. This thing was put on by Coca Cola or Pepsi or whoever. <laughs> so we we're going to meet up with them. These same friends that first night they got all muddy because it rained all weekend. They got all muddy, so they didn't want to bring all their their dirty shoes in the tent. So they left them outside the tent and slept inside and they woke up in the morning. Somebody stole all their sneakers and they went through the uh. rest of the weekend barefoot and we never got to deliver any of our supplies. Woodstock uh. 94, everybody. There it is. Wow. <laughs> 
Fantastic. And you avoided all of that misery by watching it on pay-per-view. I would have loved it. It I mean, dude, I was so, all of us were so depressed. We were planning (laughs) this for weeks. (laughs) And $49.95 for a pay-per-view. Yeah, that's expensive, but you got all three days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's go over to my Hut Products pick. You know, because for Hut Products, we've picked everything on this show. You know, we've picked books, magazines, even concert tickets. But you know what I don't think we've ever picked before? A pay-per-view of a concert. (laughs) (laughs) So I have August 12th and 13th, 1989. For the low, low price of 1995, you could have got the Moscow Music Festival. So let's go over to the Charlotte Observer, August 11th, 1989, in an article written about it called Glass Knot Guitars, Moscow Benefit Held. Another giant step for U.S. USSR diplomatic relations. Bon Jovi, Ozzy Osbourne, Motley Crue, Scorpions, Cinderella, and Skid Row will perform at the first Woo-hoo! Moscow Music Peace Festival Saturday and Sunday at the 140,000-seat Lenin Stadium. The shows are for benefits, but not for peace, as the name implies, but for an educational approach to fighting drug and alcohol abuse. Sounds like a great cause. Well, much like rock and roll, there's a light and a dark side to everything. So let's get to the dark side of the Moscow Music Festival. This event was actually credited as probably being the start of the downfall of the glam metal scene. It's all because of the event organizer, Mr. Doc McGee who was managing all of these bands at the time. Tommy Lee, after the concert, punched Doc McGee right in the face, knocked him out. All of the bands were infighting on who got to go first. Ozzy wanted to go before Motley Crue. Motley Crue wanted to go before Ozzy. Motley Crue was pissed off that Bon Jovi got to use fireworks. They were all fighting. It was horrible. But you know what? For 1995, you got roughly five to eight songs from all of those bands. And then all of those bands after jammed together with Jason Bonham. So that's what I got. The Moscow Music Peace Festival, August 1989. Nice. All right, so let's kick it over to our Judge Hollywood for the ruling for the Hut Products round. So all of those are awesome, you guys. All of those. So the first one that uh, was that, Joe, that that uh, book that you were talking about mm-hmm. is that really a book yes it's really a book it, because there's a film by the same yes i had a hard time finding extra information name. when i was doing my research because everything led to that 1989 movie mystery train <laughs> <laughs> right so i saw that and then nick i love your story there that 1994 i'm older than you uh, so that's Lollapalooza tour is, is that what that was this is Woodstock 94. This is the what? 25th okay. anniversary of Woodstock. Okay. I thought it was Lollapalooza. I mean, anyway. Cl- the- I mean, if you look at the bands, it's pretty close. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. The bands are pretty close to that. My, I got to tell you about Moscow. Ma- Moscow, um, did we say 1980? Did you say 1989? You did. Yeah, 89. So one of my dear friends is on that tour. And I heard lots of stories and those stories that you were saying, uh, Rachel Boland, who lives down the street from us, um, was there and, uh, we were staying over at his house. I remember opening his closet door and there was that leather jacket that he wore that they gave everybody from that tour. He still has it. 
And Doc McGee, here's another thing. Doc McGee lives up the street when he's here in town. And we know him and his wife, Wendy, really well. I actually rented a house from Doc um, about two years ago. Do you know, is there any truth to the rumor that he put this whole festival together to avoid jail time? Yes, that's what we've heard. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because he was was being indicted on drug charges. So he put together a big charity event to help other countries fight their drug problems. Russia, well, the USSR at the time, was treating addiction, but with electroshock therapy. Oh, my God. And I think there's even more to that story. But I, I, Ooh, I, really? I'm, oh, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get Doc McGee on the show here. Oh my God! There's <laughs> more. I, I want to say it starts with a C and ends with an E. We talked about the drug stuff there, but um, uh, if you remember back then, who was who was peddling that? Do you remember who was peddling all those drugs to New York and California, was it Pablo Miami? Pablo Escobar at that time. Yes. Oh, so, I was gonna say Mark. No, it wasn't me, man. Mark the drug mule. (laughs) Oh, you guys are terrible. All right. So I know I just got back on and I could have went through this in the beginning. So I, I, what I, what am I picking? Am I picking? Whatever one you think is the best of the three. Oh, the best of the three is the last one. And that's Mark. All right. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going with Mark. That's closer to my heart. All of all of what you just said for me is when I grew up. Yeah. All right. So I pick up a point and take control of the board, get to select the next category. Yep. All right. You know what? Let's go over to the news round, I think. So for this one, I, I kind of wanted to bring this story up. Now, it can be we could use this for the best of or for a worst of, but it's something that's never really come up on this show before. And I, I kind of wanted to talk about it because it's a major it's a major event in 80s and 90s heavy metal rock and roll pop culture. We're going to go to February 2nd, 1989. Now, this was a night that the world was just turned upside down at the Grammys. This was the night that Jethro Tull took the Grammy away from Metallica. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Everybody has an opinion on this one, and it's, it's just such a pivotal moment because it just showed how out of touch the Grammy committee really was this was the first year that they introduced this award uh eventually they would split it into two separate categories hard rock and heavy metal (laughs) but it was crazy i I found an article in the ottawa citizen in ottawa ontario of all places the writer here says like a lot of people i enjoyed the early work of jethro jethro tull rushing to the record store to buy aqualung in 1971 but for tull to be nominated let alone win for the best hard rock heavy metal Grammy, reminds me of why these music award shows serve no other purpose than to burn the wrong people. Tull was nominated along with ACDC, Iggy Pop, Metallica, (laughs) Jane's Addiction, No Def Leppard, and No Guns N' Roses, who were the big two success stories of 1988. Watch out for Bobby McFerrin to win this category next year. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it, it was just an absolute atrocity that Jethro Tull won that event. So I wanted to bring that up on the show. I don't think it's anything we've talked about before, but it's an important event. So that's what I got. Jethro Tull winning over Metallica. And keep that in your back pocket for one of my later picks because something similar. Because they do it again. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's amazing what they do in the Grammys. 
<laughs> All right, well, you brought it up. All right, Man Crush, you get to go next. All right, well, this isn't the pick that I was talking about, but let's go to May 6th <laughs> of 1994. And after being approached by the Justice Department, Pearl Jam issued a formal complaint against the ticket giant Ticketmaster. Pearl Jam cited, and I quote, a virtually absolute monopoly on the distribution of concert tickets where they controlled, give or take, 90% of the concert venues in the United States. And in spite of that complaint, Pearl Jam tried to put on a summer tour in support of their 1993 album Versus by using venues that weren't affiliated with Ticketmaster. And during that ill-fated tour, the most expensive tickets for their shows were $18, which included a $1.80 service fee that was clearly displayed (laughs) on the ticket receipts Something Ticketmaster is notoriously like famous for not doing. Uh, but since Ticketmaster had exclusive deals with the largest venues, Pearl Jam, they were forced to play shows away from major cities. Some of those cities that they played on this tour, Las Cruces, New Mexico, Casper, Wyoming, Lake Tahoe, Austin, Texas. Now, this is Austin, Texas then in 1994, not Austin, Texas now, and so on. So sadly, they ended up having to cancel that summer tour because of difficulties associated with trying to book concerts with venues who are not affiliated with Ticketmaster. And in the process, they lost roughly $3 million of their own money. I mean, that's a big chunk of change. If If you're a Pearl Jam fan, know this. They really went to bat for their fans here. Not only were they attempting to do their tour in smaller venues with like, you know, these other companies besides Ticketmaster, the group itself, they were doing all the logistical work for the shows. In an interview that they did with The Independent, Eddie Vedder said, we were having week-long meetings about chain link fences and porta johns Like, they were literally ordering all the shit for these shows, security they were setting up. They were doing all this stuff. Well, on July 5th, 1995, Pearl Jam would lose the Justice Department complaint. Ticketmaster is still the biggest ticket company in the world. They would end up merging with Live Nation in 2009, and now Ticketmaster is even larger than they were before, and the fees are fucking insane. For example, crazy. I, I pulled out two <laughs> tickets. I purchased tickets to see Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden last October, which has just been rescheduled for the second time, and we're not going to see him until November of 2021. My tickets were $99.50 each. The fees for each ticket, you guys ready? $35 and 30 cents a ticket. Oh, my second, that's crazy. my second set of tickets, guns and roses. We were supposed to see again, another tour that's uh, rescheduled for 2021, 94 50 per ticket. The fees on those $30 and 95 cents. So clearly like Pearl Jam was onto something with these insane tacked on fees. And keep in mind, yeah. Pearl Jam was talking about three to $6 fees. In 1994. Yeah. Now it's in the 30s. And these aren't, my tickets aren't even like front row. These are just like, you know, in the Regular mezzanine or something. $30 each. And look, nice. like I realize that you need to put money like to guarantee the shows, secure the venues and all that jazz. But when you're paying one third of your ticket prices on fees, someone's really getting screwed. And that's the fans. And the facts that, yeah. that Pearl Jam took one on the chin for everyone. When and you guys need to understand this, no one else would do this. They asked other bands to step up with them. No one would do it. The only other band that they were stepped afraid. up, yeah, they were. They were. I mean, Pearl Jam. They're afraid. 
they thought that they were going to die as a band because they were drowning in the shit. The only other band that like testified was REM. And right after they testified, they went on a Ticketmaster tour. I mean, <laughs> so like, dude, Pearl Jam was going, they were going after for the fans in this one. So I think this had to be brought up because it's still a fucking travesty how much money we pay totally. for this shit. But that's my totally. pick. It's Pearl Jam against Ticketmaster. All right, Joe Finley, what do you have for the news round? All right, I'm going to take you to March 23rd, 1975 in San Francisco, California. Uh, Bill Graham, the promoter, found out about a shortfall in the San Francisco District School Board's budget, and he wanted to do something to help them out, and they were $3 million short, which basically meant that all of their extracurriculars were going to be cut for the year. So he put together a mega all-star concert which actually said according to the according to rolling stone said it was a personal triumph for promoter bill graham and almost parenthetically next sunday was the largest rock benefit concert ever half again larger than the concert for bangladesh of course this was at the time there are been ones that have beat it since but snack sunday at the keyser stadium in san francisco uh in snack stood for students need athletics culture and kicks mm-hmm. uh it was all about raising money for the students uh bill graham put together a huge lineup with the doobie brothers the grateful dead oh, cool. joan baez uh jefferson starship tower of power santana and a special performance at the end by neil young bob dylan and the band and celebrities such as marlon brando francis ford coppola Will Billy Mays and Jesse Owens all came out to support this cause. It was a gigantic success, notwithstanding the fact that the school board only two days prior to this concert found the money (laughs) and did not need this concert. They put the concert on anyways. They made a fortune and they put all of the money into that school board. Uh, And so they weren't going to be having a shortfall anytime soon for that. So Bill Graham putting on Snack Sunday on March 23rd. 1975. Wow, you guys. Those are, those are all really good, uh, news items. Uh, the first one with the Jethro Tall, I do have to tell you my very first single, and I'm glad I love this whole music stuff, you guys. My first <laughs> single, and I think it was sixth grade, um, I think our target was called Zodies in California, Z-O-D-Y-S. So I went over to Zodies. The first single was Bungle in the Jungle by <laughs> Jethro Tull. <laughs> and I still have it. I'm serious. I still have it. It's green. It's like a light green label. <laughs> uh, but anyway, for that was atrocity. It was horrible. I remember sitting in my living room, and we were just dumbfounded. We're like, what the fuck are these people <laughs> Oh my God, what are they thinking? How old are they? Do they not do their due diligence? What? Do they not have children? Do they not have, you know what I mean? Right. Crazy, crazy. <laughs> uh, man crush. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. I just, Metallica was, sh- I mean, everyone's faces in the audience too were just as, you know, <laughs> horrified <laughs> as I was sitting on my couch. Uh, man crush, the Pearl Jam thing. Those convenience, this is what we always called, um, Ticketmasters, um, when they say the convenience fee, we call it the inconvenience fee because yep. it is so inconvenient. That is just crazy. But I, you know, thumbs up to, to Pearl Jam, man. Pearl Jam for, you know, standing up for their for their right and not being afraid to do it. Um, that's one thing that I always think. Screw everybody else. You do what you think is right for you. 
Um, Joe, I love the 1975 um, snack. I got to ask you a question about that <laughs> snack Sunday. I haven't heard about that, but is there video of that anywhere? I didn't see any video. I read a ton of articles. There were even articles right. this year like looking back on it and that sort right. of thing, because uh, it's, it's those five year things, right? It's like the, what is it? The uh, 45th anniversary of it or, what, or whatever right. it was. So. Right. But that is so cool. I, I'm always looking at vintage stuff. You guys have access TV. Do you watch yeah. access TV oh, yeah. at yeah. all? Oh my God. Some of the concerts that they have, but I'm just wondering if we could find the snack Sunday on YouTube. I'm going to look that up. But anyway, yeah. the point for this for this second round is going to man crush and giving him the let's point. give it a yeah. let's give it a pearl jam because i like yes yeah. absolutely i mean there were, they can there call were me daughter anytime there were other news stories <laughs> but the fact that i think a lot of people don't realize that they almost lost themselves in the process of this yes, thing. Yeah. that's what i'm saying they definitely uh yeah they almost lost their asses but they were you know you got to believe in what it just proves the point it, it, you know what i mean right. What I'm trying to remember was it Metallica also that did the thing about um, uh, Napster? Remember that whole oh, thing yeah. with Napster? So that so look at them. Point made. Anyway, good round, guys. Good good round. These are all going to be tough. You know, the one thing when it's a genre based episode like this, it's always yeah. super tough because everyone brings the best of the best. Right. So, yes, you guys are awesome. You guys did, are doing so good. <laughs> All right, man, Chris. I love it. You pick up a point, tie the game, but more importantly, you take control of the board. What category are we going with next? All right, let's put the music round right smack dab in the middle. I think we're all going to have fantastic music stuff, and it's oh, not boy. deserving of two points because it's going to be very close. So let's just do this as a one-pointer, and I'm going to go to March 8th of 1994. This is this band's fourth studio album and many would actually hail this album as their breakthrough album it's kind of hard for me to see it that way since i had their first three albums all the way back to their debut album in 1988 on sst records a matter of fact i still have the cd like you were talking about the single before i still have the cd in my collection and it comes with an insert with an order form for other sst albums which is really nostalgic because obviously there were no there was no internet ordering back then. So I could pull that out at any time, unfold this thing. It's like in perfect condition and order whatever the fuck I want. Cool. Well, actually that company is probably not even around anymore, but anyhow, <laughs> that said this time around, they were no longer with a small label. They were on their second album with A&M records. Their previous album, actually all of their previous albums were a lot heavier than this album. So if I had to categorize this particular album, I'd say it's more grunge, hard rock. But that slight change in music would catapult this album to selling upwards of 9 million copies worldwide, going five times platinum in the U.S. This is also their best-selling album to date, and they won two Grammys, and this is where I was going to bring this back, Mark. They won two Grammys that year, and they won, well, they were nominated for three, they won two, and the two that they won, Best Hard Rock Performance and Best Metal Performance. They won them both. <laughs> Fuck it. Wow. I mean, like, if you don't know, just give them both. And that's what they did with this one. <laughs> uh, this album this album would debut at number one on the Billboard 200. And even though their last album was fairly popular, you probably have to give some credit to their first single from this album. That was released two months prior to the album's release. The single I'm talking about was actually supposed to be on the original release of the single soundtrack. Then they would follow that one up with The Day I Tried to Live, ah, followed up by the ah. mega hit Black Hole Sun. 
then my wave. And then the final single that was released from this album fell on black days. Yes. And of course the album that I'm talking about Soundgarden super unknown. And listen, Great I saw song. Chris Cornell in 2011 during the Soundbook tour. And this guy's voice is a mixture of Fergie and Jesus. It's, <laughs> it sounds just as amazing live as it does in the studio. And during the recording of Super Unknown, Chris Cornell would destroy a bunch of condenser microphones because of his insane vocal range, not because he got mad. Michael Beinhorn, was, who produced this album, he said that because of Cornell had two different vocal ranges. So they had to supply different mics to capture his full range. He would sing so loud and so hard into these microphones. He would utterly destroy the condenser and multiple microphones. Wow. That's how amazing this dude's voice was. Beinhorn, yes. he said he'd never seen that before in his life. And this dude's produced albums. You know, it's not like his first one. Right. Uh, amazing singer, amazing album, Soundgarden, super unknown, uh, which Rolling Stone would actually rank this one the ninth greatest grunge album of all time on top of everything else. Just so you know, Black Hole Sun won Best Hard Rock Performance. <laughs> Spoonman won the Best Metal Performance. Right. Yeah. And, okay. and then the, oh, this makes it even better. Then they were nominated. They didn't win, but they were nominated for Best Rock Album. So they oh. just gave them everything. <laughs> they were like, eh, we're bound to be right somewhere. <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, what do you have for the music round? I got a pretty good one, guys. On November 21st, 1975, a little band known as Queen releases Woo! A Night at the Opera. The album was actually recorded over multiple studios because they just sued to get out of their contract with Trident Studios, so they couldn't record there. Only one of their tracks, which they had recorded the previous year, was done in their studios. Aside from that, they had to skip from studio to studio. They didn't have management, and they had no money, and still managed to produce one of the most expensive albums ever made at the time. Two, from what I could glean from information, uh, only Sgt. Pepper was more expensive at this point. Uh, it created... Uh, two of their big hits, uh, one of them being You're My Best Friend, but the other one, and this is kind of where my focus is going, Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> okay. Bohemian Rhapsody was the a number one track for uh, nine straight weeks. It crossed over into 1976. Uh, it topped the charts for five weeks again after Freddie Mercury died in 1991. It climbed the charts again and made it to number two on the Billboard Hot 100 when Wayne's World came out. <laughs> And then uh, and Rolling Stone said of it, its influence cannot be overstated, practically inventing the music video seven years before MTV went on the air. Its music video was also listed uh, by The Guardian as one of the 50 key moments in rock history. In 2001, the song was voted as the number two single of all time behind John Lennon's Imagine. 2004, it was named the Grammy Hall of Fame. In 2012, the Rolling Stone, uh, a Rolling Stone poll had it as the greatest vocal performance of all time. And then in 2018, when Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie came out, the song topped the charts again. And as of December of 2018, it was the most streamed song of, uh, any 20th century song, any song from the 20th century. It is the most streamed. Over 1.6 billion people have downloaded and streamed this song since streaming has begun so it is one of the ultimates it also the album uh won two grammys uh for uh vocal arrangement and uh, another one for uh it was uh, for pop vocals for some reason uh and it was a very eclectic album it was it had hard stuff it had b ballads it was all over the place and it was just kind of queen at their 
queenest. It is a crazy <laughs> album. <laughs> so, that was a good word. <laughs> so, A Night at the Opera of ni- November 21st, 1975. Nice. All right. So, for my pick for the music round, I have a debut studio album from a band that was released June 15th, 1989. Now, on its initial release, this album only sold a mere 40,000 copies. This album features typical songs about, you know, lashing out at your parents, being a bad boyfriend. Uh, the album has a cover song from a 1960s Dutch psychedelic band. Also has a song about being molested and murdered by the cast of The Andy Griffith Show. It has a song that tells the story of a family who imprisoned their children in the basement. Even a song that takes a jab at the owner of their record company on their very first album. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the debut studio album from the band Nirvana. I give you Bleach. Ah. A little something. I, I never even realized that Love Buzz, the first single off that album, is a cover from a Dutch psychedelic band. It's just an absolutely fantastic song. You really can't go wrong with Bleach. I mean, there's really not too much to say about it. It's not as polished as the other releases we saw from Nirvana years later, but that's kind of what I like about it. Now, I'm not going to be one of these guys that says, oh, well, I got it in 89 when it first came out. No, I bought it like most of the rest of America did after Nevermind was released. Then you got to hear Bleach. But you know what? I'm kind of glad I did it that way because then you got to hear that raw, unrefined sound. The tempos were different. The tuning was different. Matter of fact, on some of the tracks, they did drop C rather than drop D. And that was actually by accident. It's the best way. It is. <laughs> exactly, it is. So that's what I got for my music pick. I give you the debut studio album from the band Nirvana, Bleach, June 15th, 1989. <laughs> you guys have heard of that yeah. band, right? Huh? Yeah, of course we have. <laughs> who? No, not the who. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm playing. You guys are so awesome. I love this night. This, this music night is very cool. Um, so let's see. Uh, the only thing about bleach that I know is what I use for my hair when I need to be, be blonde. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, very, I know. Um, now, uh, Soundgarden, um, that's, I, I, I will say I did see Chris Cornell when he was doing the, um, the solo stuff, you guys. I saw him in California, the John Ford Theater unbelievable and i'd seen soundgarden a few times in la you are so right um with the um with his vocal and the range it's always a kick-ass killer concert i am going though to give the point to my queenness i love that word that joe used um just hands down queen for sure bohemian uh bohemian say that three times fast Bohemian Rhapsody. I have to tell you, in seventh and eighth grade, there was a kid, um, and he had he was doing that. that our whole school had this. Um, I don't know what it was that they were doing, but they were doing this whole rock thing anthem with Queen. And this kid, David Miles, was his name. He killed it. He killed. I thought this kid's going to grow up to be who knows who. Uh, and he shouldn't at all, but he did such a great job. But I, anyway, I'm giving the point to Joe. Joe, that's pretty damn good stuff. 
Uh, thank you. I'm so glad I put that one in the middle on the one point. Because I know <laughs> Joe was banking on that for a two pointer. Oh, I knew you did. Yeah. It's the seventies, man. What are you going to do? Seventies are great too. Yeah. Unbelievable. There's That's... some, I always say this. I have to tell you, Joe, I always tell everybody, I wish I was born in the fifties because if I was born in the fifties, then I could have seen the doors yes. and Janice, Johnny Hendrix. And I mean, that's, you know, <sighs> you know, I, oh, you know, I, of course there's seventies too stuff, but early seventies, but I would have loved to see those type of bands. And I was just way too young, but, uh, but, um, and, and I just, I have to bring this up. Did you guys see last week, the documentary of uh, MTV? Did anybody watch that? No. Go back and watch that. It was pretty cool. Anyway. Covers it right from the beginning? Yes, it does. And I, there was stuff that I didn't even know about the five DJs. Uh, I'm trying to remember the blonde guy's name. Was it? No, it wasn't Adam. A, you're it talking was, about Adam Curry or you're talking about Alan Hunter? Alan Hunter. The, yeah. the, he didn't know. He just thought, I am never going to get this. I don't know this. I'm a skinny little kid. And they loved him. And then Nina Blackheart and um, JJ, uh, JJ Jackson. Martha Quinn. Uh, Martha Quinn. And then uh, Mark Goodman. Good Mark night. Goodman, yep. We try to get them on here all the time. They never respond. <laughs> well, they're probably not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Alan Hunter is actually on like 80s radio on Sirius. So I hear him all the time. That's but... good. That's really cool. But their stories were really cool. I don't think Nina was there to interview, but Mark was there. It was really good, though. There was just stuff, you know, where are they now and how did it start? And who, it's crazy. I wish I would have been around during that time. I'm putting well. it on the list. That's definitely going on the list. Did Glow yeah. ever do any crossover with MTV back then? We did not because now Glow was 86, 87, 88, and 89. You know, I just remember being on tour on a bus when I first heard Guns N' Roses. I remember having my Walkman in my ears and looking out the bus listening to sweet child of mine and you know oh just what what a i just remember going what the hell is this stuff holy shit yeah (laughs) and by the way i did see them here in nashville not last year but the year before concert was really good yeah i saw the once in a lifetime tour yeah yeah I, i saw them at metlife they were fucking unreal i i know right I thought I thought Axel was not going to live up to expectations. But I did he, too. He delivered. Uh, he delivered. Yeah, he did. He did, he and he was on weight. time. He wasn't late. <laughs> they, oh, they were pinpoint. They were pinpoint they on were, time. Oh, I. If we go over, we go over here. But I have to tell you, uh, in California, I was doing some extra work, and remember when Guns N' Roses did the song "You Could Be Mine" or whatever that oh, yeah. song for the for T two, but it was yes. And I was doing extra work on it, and we were waiting. They, they were doing the um, that particular um, video. They were waiting for uh, Axel, of course. We waited, and we waited. Guess what he does? He pulls in to the Roxy parking lot, which is also the Rainbow parking lot. Right. We're all sitting there waiting. He pulls in, and his little uh, BMW blasting music gets out of the car, runs straight into the Rainbow, probably to drink. Doesn't even go on set. And now we're waiting. Oh, he's here. He's here. Now we're waiting longer for Axel to get the hell out of the rainbow and get over to the inside of the, uh, um, yeah, of the Roxy so that we could shoot that video. And that was kind of cool. So I'm somewhere in there in the audience when he's walking. Oh, oh when it's, uh, 
when it's Schwarzenegger walking through the crowd. Do you remember when he's walking through yeah. that area? And he's looking and for people? Him. Yes. I mean, yeah, that's it. We're, I'm somewhere in there. Oh, my God. I'm so <laughs> going to watch the video right no! after this. So I don't find it. I'm going to send you the – I'll just take a screenshot. No, don't you dare. <laughs> anyway. All right, Joe Finley, you've tied up the game at one apiece heading into our first two-point round. You got control of the board. What category are we going with next? All right. Well, I'm going to grab the clicker, although this is if I'm the 70s, I'm probably going to make my kid go over and dial, (laughs) tune the dial over to the TV right now. All right. So let's talk about April 25th, 1975. Uh, ABC always been known as kind of a family-friendly network. Well, fuck that noise tonight because one of the baddest live acts of all time got a live concert special on this night. I present you with Alice Cooper, The Nightmare. Oh, wow. The man, Alice Cooper, who's just one of the coolest live acts, just the uh, out of this world, the... The scary, the drama, the drama he brings into his live act and all that. This time he has now cut himself into it as Steven, a man trapped inside of a nightmare by the spirit of the nightmare, which was a gigantic spider voiced by the one and only Vincent Price. That narrative was intercut with a concert where he performed his album, Welcome to My Nightmare, which was, was released the same year. Uh, that featured all sorts of crazy costume changes and dressed like an, he's going to an asylum and he, just so much drama in that uh, the the special itself won an Emmy for best editing and a Grammy for best video album that year. Uh, it was a huge deal. You can actually, if you want to go find it, it is available on DVD, but you can also sneak it on YouTube because I watched it the other day. <laughs> so you can find it on there. It is a whole Hi. lot of fun to watch. It is Alice Cooper in all his queenness. No, <laughs> <laughs> trying to use it again. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna make it a T-shirt, baby. But no, uh, it's it, it's a wonderful special, and ABC had it, and it was that was April 25th, 1975, with Alice Cooper, big proponent to save the uh, the Hollywood sign too. Yeah, put up the big dollars oh, wow. and set up all that stuff to save the sign back in the day. Good guy, and always my go-to source when I need information on Milwaukee. Oh, Millie Walk A. <laughs> it's Algonquin for the good land. <laughs> Thanks, Alice. All right, guys. So for my television pick, this television show ended on October 7th, 1989, ending its 3,000 episode run over 37 years. Now, arguably, there's nothing in American popular culture that has done more for culture itself and specifically for rock and roll music. And the end of this legacy ended October 7th, 1989, with the end of American Bandstand. Uh, Just a cultural phenomenon. It changed society. It changed music. Anybody who was anybody was on American Bandstand. I'm not even going to list off some of the names, because it might even be easier to list off names of people you've never heard of that were on the show. Dick Clark remained host until 1989, when the network actually wanted to chop it in half and make it a half-hour show instead of a full hour. He remained producer, and they moved it to the USA Network with David Hirsch taking over for the final few episodes. Uh, The cover girls were the final musical guest, and they performed the song, My Heart Skips a Beat and We Can't Go Wrong. 
So October 7th, 1989, the end of a complete TV and cultural revolution dynasty. Give you the sad ending of American Bandstand. Sad. All right, Man Crush. So what do you have for the television round? All right. So let's go to October 12th, 1994. And since we talked about it already, if I were to tell you that this legendary rock band was going to be on MTV in 2020, your response would probably be like, no fucking way is there music on MTV. But if you know what, like if you're younger than most of our audience, it may surprise you that in the 90s there was actually music on MTV. And in 1994, I, you know, I think most people will think that I'm going to go with the infamous MTV Unplugged in New York, the Nirvana album. However, that was actually recorded in 1993. So even though the album was released in 1994, I won't go there because right, it's against the rules. Can't do it. However, since this is the TV round, I will give you the highest rated MTV Unplugged of all time. Uh, and everyone was excited to see this mini reunion, despite them playing in Morocco with a bunch of street musicians as the band. And although this wasn't the first time that these two rock giants had got back together since the passing of their legendary drummer, John Bonham in 1980, uh. it was probably their best performance since that de devastating event. The band retooled for live aid, 1985. And it was so bad that they actually requested the video to be removed from the archive. But it's actually on YouTube, so if you want to go see it, it's pretty fucking bad. <laughs> uh, but then they got together again in 1988 for the Atlantic Records 40th anniversary event. That was kind of flat. So when the word got around that Robert Plant and Jimmy Page were going to share the stage on MTV's Unplugged, everyone turned in. Everyone wanted to watch this. Oddly, they never contacted John Paul Jones. Do you guys remember this whole thing going yeah. on? Yes, yes. So yeah. MTV, they were totally billing this as like a Led Zeppelin reunion, which right. is why everyone was going apeshit. But it turns out like Jones never even knew until he saw it being promoted. He never even got a phone call uh, for this. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But it's kind of it is kind of crazy. But MTV, they actually approached Robert Plant for this event first, and he didn't feel like that he can carry the torch for Led Zeppelin alone. Like he didn't want to go on there and do this Led Zeppelin event. And have it be all about him. So he asked Jimmy Page to come on and join him. And Robert Plant would say that this was such an awkward invitation. Since the two hadn't even spoken about the band's future in nearly 14 years at that point. So anyways, MTV Unleaded, as they would call this event, was a 90-minute acoustic jam between Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, and a bunch of like Moroccan street musicians. They also performed on stage as well. They did. They had like two sets that they did. It sounds odd, but it's actually, it's pretty damn amazing. The whole performance is great. I watched it again today. Uh, the show would actually be sold as No Quarter also and would go platinum uh. as an album. Uh, the duo, they toured together for nearly four years in support of that album. These are guys that hadn't really talked in 14 years. They got back together. They did this show. They toured for four years. Then they released Walk Into Clarksdale in 1998. They'd mend the fences with John Paul Jones. Then he would rejoin them for their first full concert in 27 years in 2007. So, ladies and gentlemen, I give you MTV's Unleaded, the highest rated unplugged episode ever, October 12th, 1994. I mean, just listen to the track list. It's like they, they, what was nice is they mixed in old songs with new songs to get new people up, but then they used like this Moroccan music to kind of like pull in the cashmere stuff and everything. But you had cashmere on there. The, the version of Thank You is great. 
um, the Battle of Evermore is like you you wouldn't even think Robert Plant can hit the notes anymore. But if you watch it on YouTube, just go on there. You you can find every song. It's, it's amazing. It's a great freaking show. But that's what I got for my music or for my TV round. TV round. That's a hard round, you guys. You guys did really good. Wow. <laughs> Um, I, I, Joe, I want to see that for that April 25th, 1975, Alice. I want to look that up on YouTube. That's good. That yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that would be cool. I met him a couple of years ago here. Um, our friend Chuck Garrick is the bass player now for, uh, Alice. And I met him. What a kind Alice. Uh, what a kind man. He really is. You know, when you when you're up and you see Alice in the makeup and all of this, and you're thinking, "Oh, this guy is harsh and he's mean," and, but not at all. He he's a he's a, a doll. Um, now I'm going to go over to the Dick Clark thing, the end of the era. Um, Mark, that that was did Mark do that? Yeah. 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 You. Yeah. There. I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. That I um very cool as well. But then my favorite band, and it started in seventh grade when the kid was sitting next to me named uh, Doug Aldridge. On his peachy folder was a band called Led Zeppelin. And I didn't know who Led Zeppelin was at 13 years old. So I look over at the guy and I said, who is he? And he looked at me <laughs> and he made fun of me. He goes, what do you mean he? I was so embarrassed. I'll never forget that. I was so embarrassed that because I didn't know. thought it was a person. But I got every single album after that and huge Zepp fan. So I'm going to give my point to Nick. For that, for the TV round. Hell yeah. Yeah. And you know what? And in high school, excuse me, um, high school, we were waiting. They kept saying, Led Zeppelin is coming. Led Zeppelin is coming. And I was like, I can't wait for these tickets to go on sale. And the tickets were not going on sale. I'm like, I'm finally going to see a band that originated in the 60s. And this is my favorite band in the whole wide world. And then, as we all know, John Bonham passed. So, yeah. what a, yeah, that That's was so just crazy. like, ah. Oh. Yeah. So, like, where do you go from there? Because obviously I didn't live through that, but like, that's your favorite band. And they right. split up after that because they just couldn't get themselves to do any more music without John Bonham. Where did you go? Like, where, like, what was the next best thing? Like, where did you jump well, to at that point? You know, I know. So we're still in the eight. Van Halen. Oh my God. Southern California band. Van <laughs> Halen. There you go. Excellent. Love choice. those guys. Excellent choice. Yep. Now, you yep. said Zeppelin's your favorite song, and Man Crush won this round with Zeppelin. So I think we owe it to the band to go around the room here and say our favorite Zeppelin song. Ginny, what's your favorite Zeppelin yes. song? Oh, my God. There's so many. Um, <laughs> I know. That's it's so one band. You can't just pick one. You can't because every single song is great. I love New, no, no Quarter, Achilles' Last Stand. Um, God, that just jams. Going to California. I mean, Ooh, you guys. That's a good one. Joe? I'd probably go Cashmere. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Battle of Evermore. Oh, good That's pick. good, too. And uh, for me, it's it's actually the Rover. <gasps> I love the Rover. <laughs> that's the one. I love it. That is a great song. That's on Physical Graffiti, and oh, I think yeah. it's number two on side. Oh. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Since you brought up No Quarter, you know it's pretty fucked up. Is it John Paul Jones did most of the work on No Quarter, and then they didn't contact him for this unleaded, and then they named that's the bullshit. album No Quarter. That, yeah, that's like a that's a slap in the face. That's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, 
there were some uh, interviews where he was he was a little testy about the whole thing. I bet I don't blame him. I don't blame him. Hell no. <laughs> All right, man Good crush, round. you jump out to a lead heading into the final round, which is the movies round. All right, I'm uh, I'm gonna take my privilege here and I'm gonna defer. So, uh, Joe, go for it. You get movies. All righty. Please hold. (laughs) All right, guys. We're going to go to March 19th, 1975. And a lot of times when you get into a situation like this where you've got kind of a genre-based thing and then you go to movies and it's like, okay, well, how am I going to fit rock and roll into movies? Am I going to find a musical or am I going to find some rock star who who starred in a thing? Well, I'm going to bring you one that was both. Based on a rock opera from 1969 that was written by The Who, I give you The Who's Tommy. Starring Roger Daltrey, Anne Margaret, Oliver Reed, Elton John, Tina Turner, Eric Clapton, Jack Nicholson, plus appearances by the rest of The Who. Uh, it was the ninth highest grossing movie of the year. Uh, interesting little thing, Rod Stewart was actually supposed to play the pinball wizard in this movie, reprising his role when it was... Uh, uh, a musical in London, but Elton John talked him out of doing it, then took the role for himself. (laughs) Oh, cool. (laughs) So Anne Margaret wins the Golden Globe for Best Actress in this movie. She was nominated for the Oscar, didn't win that. Pete Townsend was nominated for Best Score of the Movie, and Roger Daltrey was nominated for Best Actor. Uh, It was... A gigantic thing in a year when Jaws comes out and wipes everything off the map. This thing still manages to make it, make it into the top 10 for the year. Uh, so the Who's Tommy, March 19th, 1975. All right. So for my movie selection, uh, my movie did not make it into the top 10. But you know what? This is a movie I was so excited to be able to pick for this rock and roll battle because it's a movie I absolutely love. I know what it is. <laughs> I watched it (laughs) countless times, and you know what? I think I'm the only person that loves this movie. Released August 18th, 1989, I give you Eddie and the Cruisers 2. Eddie lives. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the soundtrack to Eddie and the Cruisers 2 is phenomenal. I'd almost put it right up there with the original soundtrack as well from the first Eddie and the Cruisers. Of course, John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band came back to write and compose all of the songs for Michael Paré to lip sync. So, of course, this movie continues the story of Eddie Wilson, who is hiding in Montreal, Canada, as a construction worker under the name Joe West. Decides he wants to get back into the music scene, forms himself a band just as... The Eddie Wilson resurgence is coming. The season and hell tapes have been finally found, which was a story plot point from the first movie. And you know what, guys? Cheesy as it is, Eddie and the Cruisers 2, it doesn't let me down. The music is just absolutely phenomenal. One of the cool things about it is at the end of the movie, they go to the Montreal Music Festival and they play in this gigantic festival they actually went to a bon jovi concert in las vegas to film this so the crowd is absolutely electric for the movie it's fantastic if you have never checked it out i highly encourage you check out the first eddie and the cruisers and go watch eddie and the cruisers too eddie libs (laughs) what movie did you think he was gonna pick now i feel like an idiot because i don't know when it came out but i was thinking heavy metal (laughs) Remember Heavy oh, Metal? Yeah. Because I was like, I was thrown off by his pick too when he said it. I was like, what? what, what? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? I, I'm trying to. I don't even know when Heavy Metal came out. So, but I was thinking that. 
when he said it, I was like, oh, man, you're really into Eddie and the Cruisers if you knew what he was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Exactly. Especially the sequel. I actually am really into Eddie and the Cruisers, man. No, you are. I can tell. The music's got to live. It's got to breathe. <laughs> Marco's to sleep to in the dark <laughs> side every night. I do. It's on the dark side. On the dark side. In, in it, on it, whatever. Yeah. Tender years is better to sleep to. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man crush. Why don't you wrap up this game with your pick for the movies round? All right. So let's go to May 13th, 1994, not even including the amazing soundtrack for this movie, which is amazing. And it really takes this movie to a whole other level. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. The movie was based on the James Barr, Obar rather graphic novel that shared the same name in this movie. Sadly, a little over a year prior to the movie being released, the star of the film was killed on the set. And that really made people aware of this movie. And before getting into this amazing movie, let's take a look at the soundtrack and then we'll get into all that. You really had a, like a bit of everything. It's like a microcosm of music in the early 90s. You had The Cure was on this, Stone Temple Pilots, Violent Femmes, Nine Inch Nails, Rage Against the Machine, Helmet, Rollins Band, Pantera. I mean, you pretty much had everything. And then you had some lesser known bands in there that just added to the amazing songs and built up the atmosphere to this movie because the movie and the music together, it's fantastic. And I'm sure everyone knows where I'm going on this one. So if you're a fan of revenge flicks, this is the movie for you. You got the guitarist for the band hangman's joke. He gets stabbed, shot, thrown out a window. His girlfriend is raped and murdered. He comes back from the dead and literally kills everyone involved. It's Brandon Lee. He gives the best performance of his life. Sadly, his last. The crow. It's it's one of those uh, movies uh. that could never be replicated. The studios have put out three completely shit sequels. There's been talk of a reboot for a decade. Like initially, they had Jason Momoa. He was supposed to play Eric Draven. He backed out. Bradley Cooper was tied to it. Mark Wahlberg was tied to it. Luke Evans, Jack Houston. No one would play Draven. Aside from everyone thinking this movie is cursed, I think that just nobody wants to try and fill Brandon Lee's shoes. Because honestly, without Brandon Lee, this movie isn't The Crow. He made Eric Draven. He delivered yeah. Eric Draven from the comic book to a real person. And they have not been able to replicate that since. And now after all these years, supposedly it's being done again. Except this time they've changed their mind. It's no longer a reboot. They're going a different direction with it, which is like music to my ears. But this is The Crow, May 13th, 1994. And of course, if you don't know the story, Brandon Lee was shot accidentally on set and passed away right then and there. So mm -hmm. pretty crazy shit. But that's what I got yeah. for this movies round and wrap this one up. All right. So let's toss it down to our judge, Jeannie Bassone, for the final ruling on this game. Hey, where's my lifeline? I need some help. <laughs> the, the judge needs a lifeline. <laughs> uh, who wants to be a millionaire? No, uh, this is hard. It's a good round for the movie one. God, you guys. So, the Eddie and the Cruisers too. Uh, sorry, no points for you, young man. <laughs> Not surprised. No, 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 no points. I, I apologize. So this is a tough one for me because the crow was so so cool. And the bands that are in there are great, but <sighs> Joe, that April 25th, 1975 with the Who, Tommy, 
that's hands down for me because that's a classic. I mean, so is the cross. It's just, I want to say, I, <laughs> hey, can we do ties? No. <laughs> Oddly enough, with Joe picking up the two points in this round, we actually do have a tie. So we are going to go to a final wild card round between Man Crush and Joe. All right, we'll go super quick on this. I know we're tight on time. I'm going to go with a hot product right here. It was something I wanted to pick. This is the first EP in music history to debut at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. First week sales exceeding over 140,000 copies. This is Allison Chain's Jar of Flies. Wow, great Only album. Only a 30-minute EP, and this hit number one. First time ever. There was First time in history. So that's what I got. All right, Joe Finley, what do you got for the wild card round? All right. Well, I guess it could be a hot product, but it's also just under the music category. This was hands down, actually, my pick for the music category. And I decided to hold it back just in case we got into this exact scenario. And we've <laughs> talked about it a lot today. February 24th, 1975, Led Zeppelin releases physical graffiti. <laughs> <laughs> Featuring The Rover, Houses of the Holy, Cashmere, <laughs> Custard Pie, uh, Ten Years Gone, The Wanton Song. It's a double oh. album, chock full of mega hits. It's on almost every single rock magazine's 100 greatest albums of all time. It's the number nine greatest uh, guitar album of all time. It's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's Definitive 200. Uh, it was nominated for Grammys. It's a huge success uh uh, both critically and commercially and considered one of their strongest albums. So I leave you with that physical graffiti. But since we already picked Led Zeppelin for a round, I think she should go with probably <laughs> Alice in Chains. I mean, oh my God. Lane Staley is, he's deceased. So's John Bonham. Hey, wait a minute. You want me to come back on the show again? Of course. The judge is always right. The judge is always right. I, I'm very, 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 very sorry, Nick, about your Alice in Chains. No, no, but the, you, we know it's Led Zeppelin. Yeah, it's Come on, physical reading. You, yeah. you already knew as soon as he said Led Zeppelin, it was done. It was over. <laughs> yeah, but this has nutshell on it. I stay away. Come on. I absolutely <laughs> love that album. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, that's a great album. Every song on there. I used to call it the Wonton song. My boyfriend goes, "Quit calling it Wonton." Wanton song, you know, I always right. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Being a huge Led Zeppelin fan that you are, do you know what the favorite Led Zeppelin song of the cartoon character Popeye is? I don't feel like I'm gonna Custard like the Pie. No, of course it's All of My Love. Oh, all of my love. Oh cheesy. Oh, oh, oh my love. Is that on Coda? Forget. What is all of my love on? Oh, it's on the. No, I know what it's on. It's on the uh the one that has the bar scenes. I think in it. Is that the one? Yeah. It's on the uh, Eddie Cruiser. Eddie and the no, Cruiser exactly. There we go. All right, that's funny. You guys, this was awesome. Thank you so much. I mean, I couldn't win two in a row, but like it's okay. I'll live. I'll Burn live. your shirt, man crush. Nick, Joe, and Mark, you guys are awesome. This is a great show. I love this show. Thank you for doing this music edition. Well, thank you so yeah. much for coming on. You should come back. Do you have anything you want to plug before you get out of here? Uh, anybody who is, well, most of us are on social media. If you want to follow me at Twitter, uh, Glow Hollywood. 
uh, Instagram. I have a soap line, you guys, a soap, Ooh. a soap, a soap line. Started it about yeah. two years ago, and that is Hollywood Botanica, and that is Botanica mm-hmm. with a K, and you can find it on Instagram and Twitter as well. I saw your skull soap on there, and <gasps> it looked the amazing. Wait, don't go anywhere. Stay right there. Wait, I got to show you. The skull soap is pretty awesome. Wait, look at the bats, though. There's the bats. You got to send some of that to Ozzy. I, I know. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> look at that one. That's so that next is. level cool. Awesome. Totally, right? And then there's the red one. So, wait, wait, wait. There's an eyeball. Wait. While she's getting the eyeball one, I'll just encourage everybody, go get this stuff. It's really cool. That is so awesome. I think I saw this on your Instagram yesterday when I was scrolling through. That is so cool. You did. You yeah. did. And, Ra- and Rachel Bolin, Rachel Bolin also does soap, and I make some soap for Rachel as well. He has a soap line as well, but he loves bats. But I got the bat line down. He doesn't. <laughs> uh, I am so getting one of these for the studio. We have you a little have bathroom to. in the studio that is perfect. Right, just give me your address, you guys. Give me the address afterwards. Send it over to me, and that has to go in the bathroom. Oh, I'll thank you it. so much. Yeah, I'll, I'll, be awesome. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Awesome. That's great. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much again. Are you doing cameos too, or you don't? Yeah, do I have a cameo. Yeah, I do cameo. Yeah, plug your cameo because people are people get those all the time. Oh, good. The cameos are awesome. That's Glow Hollywood as well, I believe. I think it is. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'll uh, post that on Instagram. I'll post it on your dueling um, decades as well. Excellent. Thank you. You guys, seriously. You guys are awesome. I'm so excited that I was on this show tonight because th- I have done some stuff, and this by far is one of my favorites. Oh, thank no you so kid. much. Like awesome. when you told us, like I was trying to speed this up, like as fast as we could possibly <laughs> no, go. This is perfect. The timing. I, I'm hyper as it is. You know what time is it for me? Yeah, what? Uh, I, oh, see, I, there's so much stuff. I have to tell you one other thing. We have been watching, and don't laugh. You guys remember Planet of the Apes, right? Oh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you remember where's my where's Joe? 1974. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Planet of the Apes TV show. Oh my God, I've I heard have, of it. I've never seen it. We, you know, what we did is we bought it two weeks ago and we watched like maybe two a night just to finish. But I remember growing up as a kid. It's very cool to see, and some of it's so cheesy. Some of it's almost like. Um, Eddie and the Cruisers too, but <laughs> <laughs> rubbing Just salt in the wound. <laughs> I remember watching it with my dad when I was a kid, so I was probably around ten or eleven, and so we've been watching that just for passing the time. But it's pretty cool. That's so yeah. awesome. Man. Anyway, I just had to say that I had to talk about Planet of the Apes because I am a huge Planet of the Apes fan as well. Well, you you actually said you're big into horror, so let's get you back here again. Yeah, I'll, let's do I'll that. Contact you. Okay. We'll do a horror episode. Okay, let's do it. All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. All right, thank you guys. Have a good one. Thank and you, you have a great night. night. Be safe. Be well. Be healthy, and don't forget to wash your hands. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> With that soap. <laughs> All right. Take care. Take Bye. care. Thank you. All right, Doolers. Well, I guess we'll end this episode right here. But I want to congratulate Joe Finley for pulling out a win. Joe Finley, why don't you tell us what's going on on the Miscast Commentary Podcast? Uh, well, we are just getting uh, into our season five, five years of me yapping about movies nonstop. And it is very exciting. Uh, we've just uh, released our Goonies 
episode, so you can go check that one out. Uh, you can find us wherever you get podcasts. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash miscastcommentary, and on Twitter at miscastpodcast. Excellent. And I'm still waiting for an invite on your show so we can do a commentary track for Eddie and the Cruisers 2. <laughs> oh, we're, we're on it now. All right, duelers. Well, if you've missed an episode of Dueling Decades, you can always head over to DuelingDecades.com and subscribe to the show on all your podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes, really everywhere podcasts are available. And then head over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades, where you can join the over 50,000 other duelers and share some of your very own retro memories. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.